Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. I'm your host, Bill Sickens. Gretchen and Bill are with me here today. Welcome to the show. Hello, Hello there. Oh, second week of the new year and just jumping right in. Got a lot of good stuff coming up for you here. And we're going to be diving into some news. And we're also looking at having some really cool guests over the next quarter. We'll be posting the details of that on our website. So check it out there, userfriendly.show or userfriendlyshow.com. Both still work. And that's also the one-stop place to get our Tech Wednesday now flash briefing and everything else. And if you have a smart speaker, add us to your flash briefing. Instructions are on the website. Alrighty, guys. Well, what do we have in the news this week? Microsoft says goodbye to this nearly 30-year-old Windows program. Yeah, so, you know, um, back in the day, you know, in ancient times when the world was a cube, we had this thing called Windows 3.1, and then 3.1.1, and then Windows 95, and so on. And part of that version of the operating system is what you got these utilities that would do different things. And there's one called paintbrush, which actually lives on as paint to this day and some other things that are in there. And the, they're talking about here is WordPad. And oh. to be perfectly honest, I didn't even know this was still a thing. I, I thought it was it gone. While, but it, and it, it's going, <laughs> uh, they are going to go ahead and it's been deprecated since September of last year. And uh, it looks like it is on the next update of Windows 11 going to be removed. And it's already removed from the testing channel. But here's the thing with it. So back in the day, a word processor was, there were a number of them, different ones on the market. I know my parents used one called Ability in their legal office. And there was, um, what was it, WordPerfect, which was an interesting thing that, you know, took a master's degree to really work. Yeah. And other things. I, you know, just in the day, it wasn't WYSIWYG. In other words, you didn't see what it looked like when it was going to print on the screen necessarily. Some sort of did that. So in that day, as part of the early Windows operating system, you got WordPad, which was really just a, a way to take notes and you could print it and stuff. It's a, there's another product that came with DOS and then Windows called Notepad, which is a lot more basic for certain things, but this one actually you could bold your text and do a few things like that, but it, that was about it. And now when we look at products like Word, Microsoft Word, OpenOffice, and a number of these other different programs that are out there, they're leaps and bounds beyond anything WordPad can do. But it certainly has served its purpose, and uh, I'm not surprised to see it go, but um, you know, uh, if you use it, maybe time to start looking at uh, something else. And there are still people out there that use it. One other thing about Windows is they do this from time to time. And some of them are a little more obscure because I was also reading that they are removing a product called People from Windows 11. Now, have either of you ever heard of that? No. No. Yeah, I hadn't either. So I had to look it up. It's a contact manager, basically. Oh. And kind of a cool one. There's some good features. They're they're moving it and building it in Outlook now, which I don't know why that would have been separate in the first place. but. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, interesting to see that. So um, WordPad is really going away. And from my understanding, once it's gone, it's gone. It's not like you could install it from somewhere else, although we'll see what the hackers think about that afterwards. I have a funny feeling within 24 hours of it being cut off, there will be a way to get it back. But we'll I always you know. thought WordPad was used by a lot of programmers. It's, 
Well, it was used by a lot of people. And, you know, that's an interesting thing because it's integrated into programs. Not so much anymore, but back in the old 16-bit days, you uh, if you had something that required a little bit of editing, a lot of times it would open WordPad automatically, and that was your editor. Uh, programmers, I think maybe what you're thinking about are more Notepad. Um, oh, the difference okay. being is that, like, and I can speak to that a little bit. If I'm writing code and I do it in WordPad, it's going to have um, special characters in it that note if something's bold or centered or whatever. You can't have that in source code. It would screw it up. So Notepad is very basic and doesn't do any of that, but that's more what a programmer okay. would use. I got them Although confused. Although most programmers use a developer environment that's a little more full-featured, but I still use Notepad sometimes. Mm-hmm. The crypto world is losing its mind over the SEC's X debacle. I, I, I kind of was of the opinion the crypto world had already lost its mind, but I guess it still has one to lose here. <laughs> so this is kind of one of those stories that's just, oh my goodness. So Twitter, now X, on the, that platform, the SEC has an account. And something that's been going on here is there's been a push for the SEC to approve uh, something called an uh, ETF version of Bitcoin. Okay, so a lot of acronyms there. Basically, what it comes down to is an ETF stands for exchange traded fund. So in other words, it's something you could trade on Forbes, kind of like a stock. Okay, and right now, cryptocurrency doesn't work that way. You have to go through other methods, and it seems like every so often we're hearing about one of those methods going bankrupt. So if it was created to be an ETF, there'd be a lot more regulation on it, so a lot more security, hopefully, with it. But it's something that the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, has said that they were not interested in doing, but it's being reviewed again. Well, what happened is on um, this last Tuesday, someone hacked into their account and sent out a text that they had approved it, when in fact, of course, they hadn't. And they were able to take care of that. So and this just goes to show a little bit of the volatility of this. When this was approved, uh, the price of Bitcoin went up right then to $48,000, so just, just shy of that. And then when it was found out that it was uh, not true, it fell over two grand in about a second. So, <laughs> but anyway, wow. so it just goes to show where these things are going. I still say be careful. If you want to invest in crypto, you know, that's fine. But use the same money you would invest in a slot machine in Las Vegas. Don't use your rent money for it because it's still very volatile. There isn't a lot of security, safety, or controls on it. And, you know, this is something that just you just want to be careful with. Now, if you play it right, if you had invested in Bitcoin right before this came out and your Bitcoin went up two grand and you sold it immediately, you would make some money from it. But it's just as easy to have bought it when it was up and then lose the money. So you got to be careful. Mm-hmm. Star Wars fans are reeling over surprise announcement of John Favreau movie and Ahsoka season two because I the John Favreau movie is something else. Yes, these are these are two separate things. Yeah, um, although it looks like they're being talked about together, but they're not the same mm-hmm. thing. So the movie, let's start there, is uh, being called The Mandalorian and Grogu. I wonder what that's going to be about. I have no idea. No. <laughs> I'm just, you know, it's a kind of an obscure title. No, anyway, but uh, it's going to be the, the first new Star Wars film since uh, 2019. Yeah. So, and hopefully and it'll con- be a lot better. Well, considering John's involved in it, I think it, it's not going to be worse. He's yeah. actually his stuff I usually really like. So, yeah. um, you agree. know, as far as that goes, I, I think that uh, I think that that really would 
would be cool. And um, I still want a jetpack that puts out fire like that. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't know the Mando's. I got to say it's it's really cool. And I had, did have an argument with the Mando Costume Club once about this because what they have are really thruster packs. Um, but it still would be cool to be able to just loaf. Anyway, that's not part of this, so we'll move on. Hey, uh, I'd like to be able to do force jumps and stuff. So, that would yeah, be cool. you know, there you go. So uh, we'll have to we'll have to get a, the appropriate equipment for that. All right, Ahsoka season two, and this uh, we talked about the rumor of this a couple of months ago, and I was pretty sure they were going to do it. And yeah. what it comes down to is money, and the first one made a lot of money, so not doing a second season wouldn't make sense. Um. Now, I don't know, Gretchen, you're our Star Wars person. Mm-hmm. I, you liked Ahsoka, right? Yeah. Yeah. Are you I looking that, forward to a season two? Yeah. And and I think they did a nice job on the stuff that they've done so far. You know, they've got quite a few cliffhangers and lots of things that need to be answered. Um, you know, like the mysterious boxes that Thrawn has, which... You know, if you watch the Clone Wars series, you know that the the Dathomirian witches um, had a way of storing their dead, mm-hmm. you know? So what's in the box? Are they dead people, you know? Or is it some other life form, you know? The, so there's some questions that need to be answered. And then, of course, um, Ahsoka and um, Sabine are stuck in another galaxy. Um, and Ezra has made it home. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions that need to be, and what kind of trouble is Thrawn going to create now that he's back home? And now he has witches for allies, unlike the original story. So he's got some interesting firepower behind him. (laughs) So (laughs) I've always liked the Thrawn character, but of course I've always wanted to do a blue character. So, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. Bill, what do you think about all this? Do you think we're ready for another Star Wars film? I hope so. I mean, <laughs> track record hasn't been great, but, uh, you know, they do have some gems that come out every now and then. It seems almost like the one-offs, you mm-hmm. want to call it that, are better than yeah. the mainstreams. And I know this is a big topic that uh, there's, a lot of people have a lot of very strong feelings about, but you know, Rogue One I thought was pretty good. Yeah, and, it was. Uh, and then I'm still trying to figure out how to play Palpatine as a clone that has kids. That to me is a little weird. That, that storyline didn't make sense. It doesn't make um, any which sense wasn't at all. Every time last, you bring it up, Star I'm Wars like nine or whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, so it's it's like One Direction, and and the series for the most part I've liked. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's interesting because like that one, um, what was it? Solo or something. Correct me on the name. I liked Solo, even though I think it stepped away from some of the expected uh, already written literature. Yeah. Um, That's what I was going to say too. It didn't feel like Star Wars, but I still liked it for what it was. Yeah. And they kept the fun roguish, you know, characters and, um, you know, that one was in danger of being destroyed, and Ron Howard had to step in and kind of do some cleanup, from what I understand. Yeah. That they were going to make it a slapstick comedy, which um, really yeah. would have been bad. Yeah, I'm been not terrible. so sure I 
process that. That that would have no, that would have been really stupid. I don't yeah. even know how that would have worked anyway, but they didn't, so that's good. <laughs> <laughs> well, in space adjacent uh news, Astrobotics thinks it knows what caused the propellant leak on the Peregrine Moon Lander. So, all right, a little bit of background on this. Um, Last Monday was the first attempt to put an American lander on the moon since the final Apollo mission in 1972. It's also a new program that NASA's doing to use private companies to deliver payloads. They want to ultimately do 20 over the next few years, and this was the test for doing that. And unfortunately, as happens with some of these things, it did not go well. Uh, The vehicle got up, but then there was a problem um, with some of the valves in it, um, if you want to go into details, look this up online, but it, because it, it talks about the specifics. But basically, um, they had a, a valve that had to do with the helium system. It didn't reseal, so it overpowered the tank and ruptured it, basically is what happened. Which yeah. means that it's launched and it's out there, but it will only, at that time, operate for another day. So it's probably done now, and uh, it's unfortunately a piece of space junk. But you know, at the end of the day, this is experimental, of course, and it doesn't mean that it's a um, huge disaster. Stuff happens, and you learn from it, and then you have to do it again, and I'm just glad I'm not funding this. Yeah, nobody <laughs> was killed, you know. Nobody was killed. No, it yeah. just, yeah, it was, yeah, nothing, you know, nothing caustic happened, um, you know, and considering some of the technology failures we've seen in the other week, the other one being the Boeing plane with Alaska that um, blew out the door. Uh, you know, nobody was killed there either. So equipment failure, technology fails. What you don't want is loss of life and these type of things. And sometimes now I would have hope that uh, aircraft is considered less experimental than spacecraft. But who knows? So I have a question. Have either of you ever heard any stories or seen any stories about like a Chinese uh, attempt to launch to the moon? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Did they ever make it or what? I yeah. never heard. Yeah. Um, from my, oh, okay. I, I'd have to look up the details on it, but I, the launch was successful. And again, if I'm wrong on this, I apologize, but it's just what I remember. It was to the backside of the moon. And from my understanding is they got it off, they got it there, and then something did go wrong, but it did land. And then they found it later, I think. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'll look that up because it's an interesting question and be cool to see what, what kind of came of it. But yes, that, that did happen. Because we, we, as humans, are becoming more global in our pursuit to explore space. So it's a little different than the way it used to be in the 60s. So Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, big time. All right. R-rated comic book movie tops charts on Netflix. So it's interesting to even have an R-rated comic book movie. Uh, you know, because a lot of that's geared towards kids and you want to be able to target the biggest market you can. So it's usually well, PG-13. The Crow was definitely R-rated. Oh, yeah. They're, it's not that they don't happen. It's just yeah. unusual. In this right. particular case, they're referring to Joker, Batman, the Joker movie from 2019. And um, they're looking at doing a follow-up on it now, too, a continuation of it uh, that's scheduled for release in October of this year. So it'll be interesting to see. now. Anybody that's listened to the show for a while knows that I'm not a huge Batman fan. I used to really not be. It's me very dark. However, there is some talk that they're going to get some better villains involved. So I might change my opinion when that happens. I but, see. Um, I know some of this stuff. It's just you get in there. The other one, Birds of Prey, I didn't particularly like because it was just so over the top, violent, just dark. 
So, yeah. you know, we'll see where it goes. But there's a lot of people that love Batman. I know that. And um, uh, there's, you know, also the argument of he's, he's actually a superhero without any superpowers. But um, I've kind of been convinced in recent years that the use of technology to become a superhero is valid. So we'll just <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> Age of Empires developer confirms the game is mostly written in low-level assembly code. So Age of Empires, classic video game that's been around. And, uh, you know, we've been getting a lot of questions in lately on video gaming and some of the retro stuff and how all of this works. And this is an interesting topic because it kind of looks at that. And what they're talking about is a uh, low-level language or low-level assembly code that basically refers to any kind of a programming language that uh, communicates more directly with a computer's architecture and high-level languages. Okay, so the difference being a high-level language would be something like C-sharp or, uh, you know, one of those where you're basically programming in regular words for the most part, and then it goes through some sort of a process where it compiles it or whatever to create a language that the computer can read. Assembly programming, you're programming much more on the computer's level, which makes for tighter code. Which means that especially we've got a lot more memory in computers now and stuff that we than we used to. So this used to be a lot more important, although it's still definitely the case now with speed on things, is that when you deal with this, you end up with something that is more efficient, so better graphics, faster response time, all that kind of thing with less resources. So from that kind of a standpoint, that's where you would see it. And it's not limited to this. You know, if you look, there's a lot of different programs, not even just games that have come out over the years that are written in this way, but it takes a very specific kind of programmer to be able to code in low-level languages because it's not the most widely used thing. And generally what they do is you'll make modules of a given application this way and then use a high-level language to kind of like tie them together. And there's going to be some people that are going to yell at me for that comparison because I know it's a lot more technically in-depth than that. It's (laughs) kind of the way that I look at it. Mm-hmm. So you're doing, you know, you're doing different things. And we're not trying to be a show on teaching programming, which is where we'd have to go to really explain something like that. So is this ones and zeros or is this more like hexadecimal or what? Okay. So you're not programming directly in binary. Um, okay. I'm, you, you'd have to be some kind of a cyborg to do that. So okay, <laughs> um, hexadecimal would be maybe a partial explanation. Bill, do you want to speak to this at all? It's been a while since I've done programming and my last one was Python. So. Okay, so uh, now Python's an interesting thing because I I, kind of consider that to be both in some ways, depending on what you're doing with it. But but yeah, it's so it's not direct binary programming. You could have some direct hexadecimal programming. It certainly is a lot tighter code. Yeah. Okay, Chip Act brings high tech to Oregon. So what exactly does that mean? CHIP Act. Okay, so let's talk about the acronym here. The CHIPS Act stands for Creating Helpful Incentives for to Produce Semiconductors. Yes, I can read from the press release. Not really. <laughs> but anyway, that's what that stands for. Basically, what it is, is it's investment in getting manufacturing of microprocessors back into the United States with certain things that have happened and are continuing to happen in the world. It's becoming known that it's probably not a good idea that we get all of our technology produced elsewhere. And so that's the idea where this is going. And what's really kind of cool about this is um, Oregon has been a high technology area for a long time. And in fact, uh, area here in Beaverton is called Silicon Forest. There's a lot of Intel and other 
high tech businesses out in that area and really all over the state. Now, this particular one is a company called Microchip Technology, and they've gotten a pretty good grant. They're going to be increasing their lab, their production space, and all of that kind of stuff here in Oregon with that. And, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot of companies out there that have very benign sounding names that do absolutely amazing things that you might not know. And uh, this is one of them. So it's going to be kind of cool to see that actually coming. I believe it's 300 new jobs that's being uh, set up right off the top here in wow. technology and related industries. Um, I think they're in Gresham, which for anybody that's outside of the area is a city that's just outside of Portland, kind of like a suburb. Um, and they have a plant there already, so they're expanding it. They're not adding a new one. But even so, it is really kind of cool to see where these things are going and, and seeing this kind of investment. I also think it's extremely important. Because if something was to happen in the world where we couldn't import uh, microprocessors and other things in the way that we have been and we can't make them here, that, that could be bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, really bad. So so anyway, so that's what's going on with that. And um, we'll see kind of where this goes and keep everybody up to date on these things. Send us your questions, uh, especially on the news. I've been seeing a lot of those and appreciate it. And we're happy to answer them. You know, I mean, what if you send a question? Okay, dun, dun, but that's my segue, Gretchen, into... You want to talk a little bit about what if? Oh, okay. Um, all right. It's an it's a series on Disney Plus. It is a Marvel Universe series, and it features what if things were different. So, uh, and they've they've had a first season that was done really well, and they've done a second season. And I would recommend if you. Enjoyed the first season. If you're a Marvel fan, if you love the characters and you like really good artwork, yeah, good stories, good artwork. Um, yeah, the one with um, Gamora, I think it was Gamora. I, I, I don't always know all the characters' names. I just know the stories were really well done. Um, there's more with uh, the Captain America, but she's not really Captain America. She's it's more like Captain Britain. Captain Britain, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> yeah, that from the first Captain season. Carter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyways, um, they're really well done. You've got to watch them. So if you have Disney+, Plus, um, take advantage of that and watch this series. I, I, no, I, 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 I wasn't seen... paid by them. <laughs> okay. No, I know. I, I understand. <laughs> no, this is not a paid, uh, paid uh, promotion. It's just you like it. Now, I have not seen the second season yet, but I did see the first season of it and I really enjoyed it. It was kind of fun the way it was put together and some of the different things and some of the directions they went with all this stuff. It's on the premise that there's kind of like this overseer entity that uh -huh. is um, going, okay, we're going to change a few things He's and see what watcher. changes in the world. He watcher. watcher. Yeah, okay, that's right. The He's watcher. the watcher. Yeah. So, so yeah, no, I think it's worth checking out too. And this is one the kids could watch. At least yeah. the first season was. Hopefully it's still that way. All right, after the break, we're going to be talking more about streaming media. So don't go away. This is User Friendly Plan. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Check out our website, userfriendly.show. It's everything for the past 10 years of User-Friendly. Back to Season 1. You can play our old episodes. You can check out Tech Wednesday, our Flash Briefing. You can even read our articles, which someday we'll start writing again. So uh, it's all mm -hmm. out there. 
It's also the place you go to submit your story ideas, submit your questions, or just anything you'd like to talk about. Userfriendly.show. Our social media links are out there as well. Please check it out and let us know what you think. Topic this week, and uh, this was actually our flash briefing for this week, and we wanted to dive in a little bit more, is streaming media. Now, in the past, we've talked about the idea of cord cutters. In fact, when user-friendly started, this wasn't really a thing yet. It's weird to think about. You had Netflix, Mm -hmm. but most of Netflix was still, you got a DVD in the mail. Uh, It was that version of it, which I believe they've discontinued now. I'd have to look. I I heard something that they were going to stop doing that finally. Streaming stuff, I mean, you know, there were certain things, but it certainly didn't work very well yet. You had streaming audio, so your Pandora and stuff like that, but video was not mainstream. So, you know, you're still dealing with Blu-rays, physical media, all of that kind of stuff. And when you bought pay TV, you had to buy a bundle through a cable provider and pay for channels, even if you didn't want them because you had no choice in the matter. So this great new thing came out. And the technology finally started to support it to allow for cord cutting, which was streaming media. You can now get Netflix and a variety of other things on where you pay a much lower monthly fee, at least did at the time. Uh, Hulu was free in those days and Netflix was a few bucks a month and so on. I remember that. And you had a choice over what you wanted to do. And then they started coming out with what they called over the top services. Uh, What that means is not it's over the top, but it runs over the top of the internet. That's where that term comes from. And that worked a lot like your cable provider where you could get the History Channel and Discovery and Hallmark and CNN and so on. So those type of services came out. And there were a number of different providers of that over the years. And lately, um, I think the magic or the honeymoon seems to be over with all this stuff because the cord cutters are now starting to cut the streaming services. And this is being equated to a number of different things, bad shows, skyrocketing prices, uh, ad, the ads, and you know a number of other things. And to start with the pricing, because I think that's where this begins with, and also oversaturation or premium media fatigue, because you have all these different things now that uh, you may or may not need to get to specific things. So where that's built up is back when I used to have Netflix, I liked to watch Star Trek The Next Generation. I just used it while I was working on stuff. Yeah. And it was enjoyable. It was there. And I probably ran through the series, I don't know, five or six times over the years that I had it. Well, all of a sudden it disappeared because they wanted to put it on another streaming service to drive customers there. So now you have to pay for a second one. And this kind of thing is an example of a lot of what's been going on. And then in conjunction with that, you're seeing prices going up. So what they call dropping and changing is monthly churn, industry term for it. And it's being noticed by major streamers, including Apple TV+, Discovery+, Disney+, Hulu, Max, Netflix, Paramount+, Peacock, Stars, and so on. And all of this stuff, they monitor ratings and these different kinds of things, which is how they know about it. So up until very recently, you didn't have to pay a lot for a streaming service, and they had some pretty good shows. You know, new content and things that were coming out. And what was uh, causing that is a lot of these big companies were in a mode that they could basically throw all the money they wanted to at creating their streaming platform. And now all of a sudden investors are saying, hey, we got to rein that in, got to start making some money. So what's happening is this is pushing this business model a lot more to like what cable used to be. Now, I know one thing myself that I like about a lot of streaming services and I liked about DVRs and things is I am not a fan of commercials. 
And even in fact, here on user-friendly, we've cut our commercials breaks down to one instead of five, like it used to be, you know, and it's just a situation. Yes, I understand you have to make money and um, all of that's fine and well, but it, it gets to a point where it's very disruptive mm-hmm. with storyline, I think. Yeah. What do you guys think about that? Do you do you find uh, that to be I, the I, case? I agree with you completely. Matter of fact, we used to only see um, the Rebels series on Disney XD or whatever it was. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And and it was almost like traumatizing. You couldn't like get the story. You didn't you didn't get the feeling of what of the events in the story because it was always broken up by really obnoxious, ridiculous commercials that lasted like five minutes. So Jeremy and I, we went and bought the the DVDs. Yeah. And all of a sudden, the stories meant so much more. The acting and all of the efforts that the artists put into the stories, it, it was all of a sudden, it, it was like it blossomed. And you could sit there and enjoy what was going on. I understand the idea that, you know, they do need to sell some commercials and pay for things, but maybe not so much and maybe not not break up the stories so uh, intensely. That would be my advice. Bill, what do you think? I can't stand those kind of commercials. They've been doing that on YouTube now, and it's just, it is so hard to get invested in things. Um, I remember Disney XD when I used to have satellite and that was, yeah, I, yeah, they broke it up way too much. <laughs> you know, like and another thing that I've been noticing too is uh, after I'm going to use this just because I know about it, the uh, uh, Star Trek, the next generation example, when it was dropped off of Netflix, um, I use an over the top service called um, Philo and um it's one I've chosen. I'm not a big fan of sports networks, so I don't want to be forced to pay for things like ESPN, and they offer that. Uh, it's 25 bucks a month now, and you get most of your channels. Um, not the locals, but uh, I figured out another way to deal with that. So um, I started, okay, they have a cloud DVR. Started recording Star Trek. There's commercials in it now. Their DVR works in such a way that you actually can fast forward through the commercials. They don't lock that out. They do for on-demand playback, but not for DVR. But then the other thing I noticed is they're cutting the episodes. So parts of the original, if you were to play like off of a DVD, Star Trek, The Next Generation, there's actually about six minutes missing from every episode that's aired where they cut it down and it screws up the story. Yeah. Uh, So you have the commercial breaks and then you have that. And it's like, so you're, you're missing stuff. And um, so BBC America, don't do that. (laughs) That can really mess with things because, um, there was a movie that um, was one of uh, Jeremy's favorites, The Highlander. Mm-hmm. And um, we finally got to see what is it? I think it was the director's cut. And there was like maybe a minute or two that was in the director's cut that changed the story. There was a, um older woman that knew who the Highlander was. And it was like, how does she know this? Well, in the other version, They'd cut the fact that that he had rescued this child during World War II, this this little girl, and now all of a sudden we know who she is, why he trusts her, and why she cares about him, and so um, those few moments makes a big difference 
you know, in telling a story. You can't hack things apart. I got one. Uh, New Hope. I had it for years as a Sunday movie recording, you know? So it was the TV one. And they cut out so much from that that it was almost a different movie. They were, you know, you're missing scenes, and then they, they did that across all three movies of the original Star Wars saga. And it was such a different mo- thing when I got to see it on DVD or Blu-ray, you know. Um, or actually, I think I went back in theaters when they re-aired them. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's kind but... of weird. To, it's kind of weird to now you're talking about this like the next generation. There was one where there's a scene that Wesley Crusher had not passed his Starfleet admission exam. And in the cut version of it, it just goes that he didn't do that. And then it goes to the ending sequence. Well, there's this whole other part. It was part of the way that they would tell these stories that talked about how, well, you're going to try it again next year. And Picard had failed his first year and all this. That was all cut out. That yeah, whole piece. Really? So it's like, you're watching this and it's just, it's missing stuff. Like you say, a, a new hope, you cut stuff out of that and it's not going to be the same movie. And for me, when I've watched them again, I, what I finally ended up doing was just buying it, like, you know, the, the actual um, episodes, and I put them on my uh, uh, network attack storage so I can just watch it over Plex when I want to. And um, it's it's a very different thing. No commercials, and it's the complete deal. So so it's like, what you know, what people are looking at with all this kind of stuff is they're paying a subscription for the streaming service. There's commercials now, unless you pay a lot of money for there not to be, if that's even an option. and in some cases, the actual uh, thing that you're watching has been cut down. Yeah. You know, I wonder why people are upset. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Uh, go ahead. Bill? I was going to say, it, it's one of those things. I don't, you know, we're not supporting piracy on this show, but I understand why a lot of people have turned to it recently. Yeah, it's just, you know, it gets tough. And the thing of it is, is one thing I'm finding is it is possible in most cases, not all, to be able to actually, you know, buy content if it's something you really like. Like I said, I was able to do that with Star Trek. Um, but some other things are a little more obscure. Another uh, franchise I've always liked is Law & Order. And I didn't realize it, but there was a Law & Order movie. I didn't even know mm-hmm. about it. So I, it's called Exiled. So, I, oh, I want to see the Law & Order movie. No streaming services had it available. Yeah. So this is the other thing, too. That's, you know, a problem. So I finally... Had to do some digging and ended up ordering a DVD of it off eBay and ripping the DVD. And now for anybody in the copyright world, yes, I bought the DVD. So I have a right to do that Um, (laughs) and put it on, you know, so I could watch it on my local system. And it was very interesting, but I couldn't even find that on streaming services at any price. It just wasn't out there. And, you know, and then some of the other things, um, I'm a fan of a lot of the uh, older sitcoms, 60s, 70s, 80s stuff. And. Or watching New Heart, and that's on Amazon Prime. Well, as of the end of the month, Amazon Prime's forcing commercials into that stuff. Oh, and um, great. unless you want to pay extra to get rid of them, I've I've been watching um, the Wild Wild West. Yeah, and there's no commercials. I love it, and even though it's there's go this away in blip, about two weeks, you know, oh no. <laughs> yeah, but if it's on if it's on Amazon Prime, that is. Uh, it is on um, Amazon Prime. Yeah, and so I have a question forcing- because mm-hmm. I've brought up Wild Wild West. And I guess it would be for all of the people out there who are steampunk fans. Is Wild Wild West considered steampunk? 
And would it be one of the first steampunk series? So that's my question to our listeners, especially those of you who are steampunk, because it's like, these guys have tech that they wouldn't have. It was like James Bond in, you know, the 1800s. And so it just made me kind of wonder, because it, it, it has that steampunk feel. And let's see what now, everybody thinks, Jack. Is that the one based off the uh, Will Smith one? There was like a movie back in the day with Will yeah, Smith. Yeah, but you see, Wild Wild West was filmed in the 60s okay. with uh, Robert Conrad and, um, oh, now I can't think of Artemis Gordon's real name. But it, it was a series. It was a TV series. Okay. Really well done. And so the Will Smith thing I th- is probably based on that TV yeah. series. Okay. I mean, I think it would be. It depends on how much focus they put on the West and how much focus they put on more that Victorian feel. Because sometimes mm-hmm. there's a little cutoff there. Okay. Let's yeah, see what the um, listeners think. I think it's a good question to ask. Yeah. And, uh, I, I don't know a lot about steampunk. I know that I think it's kind of cool. Um, I never really got into it, but you know, the idea of mechanized everything, maybe that's why I like old uh, mechanical electrical pinball machines. It's kind of steampunk, right? So <laughs> anyway. you certainly would like their train. They had all of the cool <laughs> gadgets. <laughs> and and uh, right. James West had boots that had hidden stuff inside of his, his boot heels and you know, That's sometimes cool. a knife would pop out of the, the, the toe so he could cut ropes and stuff like that. It's neat. <laughs> uh, I'll do that anyway. All right. So, hey, uh, you know, yeah. so let us know on that. But anyway, so uh, just to circle back, you know, on all of this, and you want to probably watch it in the next two weeks on Amazon Prime and you don't want to pay more. So let's go over the cost of these things, because we've had a lot of questions come in on this and to really where it's at. So um, Apple TV Plus. Uh, so these are all price increases in 2023. Now that we're done with the year, um, went up three dollars from seven to ten dollars a month. So it's now ten dollars a month. Disney Plus ad-free option increased from eleven dollars a month to fourteen dollars a month, or annually from 110 to 140. It's a nice price increase, especially considering that one was seven bucks a month when it came out. Yeah. Hulu ad-free offering from fifteen to eighteen dollars a month. Now, just for clarification, this is Hulu. Not their cable TV replacement, but the other part of Hulu where you can watch shows and that kind of a thing. This was free when it came out and then it went up. It was a couple of bucks and a couple of bucks more. I dropped it when it went to $12.99 and now $18. Uh, Max, which used to be HBO Max, uh, is now 20 bucks a month for an ad free tier. The one, let's see here, there's uh, doing another increase which is like a lesser non-ultimate ad-free offering that's going from 15 to 16. Netflix, this is interesting. So Netflix Premium is now $22.99 a month. Wow. Ouch. And I looked at that and double-checked it because I haven't had Netflix for it. When they started doing this whole password-sharing crackdown, I that was the end of it for me. It just wasn't worth it anymore. But, um, my goodness, 23 bucks a month? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, Paramount Plus is $12 a month, $2 up. And um, Peacock, uh, which is one. Now, Peacock's an interesting one. because I hadn't really used that. And my internet provider now includes it free with the internet. So I went ahead and got it because, you know, why not? It's free. It's the ad version. I've yet to find anything on there that I really consider important. So, you know, anyway, 
So we'll see where this ends up going. And then the last thing that we kind of alluded to, Amazon Prime, as of the end of this month, if you want ad-free videos, you have to pay an additional $2.99 a month uh, to get that. So on top of your Prime membership. Lovely. Anyway, that's where it's headed. We'll see where all of this goes. And, um, you know, it's I I think we're going to see some more consolidation and things, too, because this can't be really sustained all that well. And speaking of such things, uh, Wizards of the Coast uh, seems to be making controversy again. Bill, do you want to speak to this a little bit? Yeah, they just really can't uh, can't stop screwing up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they recently had an artist quit because you know they said, "Oh, we'll we'll never use AI generated stuff," and uh, well, they uh, they did again and. Again. They're saying it's for promotional, but not for final stuff. And it's still coming down to, you know, you're having stuff that's generated by AI and maybe it is being finished by an artist, but it's still not technically their work, you know? Yeah. And you know, it's uh, inter- Wizards you know, of the Coast is a company that really came. People. I'm sorry, Bill, what was that? They just laid off like a thousand people too. And most yeah. of them came from Wizards of the Coast. And uh, some of the top people there, they let go. Um, and it's just, I, I, I don't know what they're thinking. <laughs> Wizards of the Coast, for anybody that doesn't know, makes Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering, a lot of franchises like that, role-playing games and so on. And the um, uh, artist that you're speaking of is Dave Raposa. I believe that's how you say his name. And um, it, again, was a situation where he left because, you know, they. Uh, Wizards of the Coast had come out that they were against using AI for graphics and not disclosing and all that kind of stuff, and then started doing that themselves. Earlier last year, they had a picture that came out that was very obviously not only AI generated, but not edited. Nobody had even really looked at it. It was that bad. Yeah. You know, and kind of here we go again. So, um, you know, I'm not against AIs by any stretch of the imagination, but I do think that it is important to number one, differentiate between the two. And number two, realize that it's probably not okay to sit there and say, oh, we don't, you know, everything's done by humans and and have it, in fact, not be done by humans. I think that's pretty blatant black and white, you know? I mean, I can see one one situation in which using AI to uh, draft would be acceptable. And that's only if the AI is trained only on that artist who is using it. You know, if if it was me and I had an AI trained just on my work so that it was in my style, my everything, you know, running a draft of that might be fine. But, you know, some artists like myself don't have a massive portfolio to allow that. Um, But using AI art to draft stuff even then, I think is just. It's wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I just. There also needs to be something where, you know, if you have AI partner with you, you should give credit to whatever, you know, if you're using something that helps you and does that much of the work, then it's not completely your work. It's you and another partner. Yeah. And I think this is a, this is a big, this was a big cause of the actor strike, the writer strike, you know, all these things, because. It's like, um, you know, the companies are going, oh, we don't have to pay as many humans. Of course, that's, you know, and where you're going with that. 
and then you claim the work is your own, um, you know, or in some of these cases, it's, uh, um, you know, thing. statement from Wizards of the Coast on this is, uh, says this part of it, and quote, thanks to our diligent community who pointed out a series of recent marketing images may have included elements of generative AI. We are th- rethinking our process of how we work with vendors for our marketing creative. So they go on to talk about all of that a little bit and build kind of what you said that they were doing it as a marketing thing. And they end up um, saying, we believe everybody benefits from more transparency and better disclosure. We can't promise to be perfect in such a fast evolving space, especially with generative AI becoming standards and tools such as Photoshop. But our aim is always to come down on the side of human made art and artists. Hopefully that will be true. You know, Hopefully. at the end of the day. So in any event, um, just, you know, something else that's come out here and um, I've liked Dungeons and Dragons. I think we all do. I'm not as much into magic, but I've played it, you know, and there are many people that really enjoy it. But again, uh, it's important with these type of things. The other side of it is, is AI eventually will get to a point where you won't be able to tell the difference. I mean, we're headed there already there in some cases. And I think that's unfair to artists in many ways, Um, just flat out. I mean, how could you compete legitimately? You know, so again, it kind of comes down to disclosures. It should be talked about. So in any event, we'll see where this ends up going. I'm not throwing away my D&D books yet, especially my older ones, because they don't have AI-generated artwork. (laughs) (laughs) No, but at the end of the day, we'll see what ends up happening there. And on that front, we have an announcement to make, Gretchen. And uh, you and I have been working on this for a while, but um, Gretchen has written or is in the process of writing actually a number of and some on some other things over the years. And it looks like we're getting the first one published in the next couple of weeks. It's called Cyberhawk, uh, the origin story. It's going to be part of a series. We're getting things finished up. It's going to be available through Amazon and our website. And in fact, if you'd like more information on this, go to the user-friendly website and you can sign up for the announcement list. And we promise we won't spam you or sell your email address or anything, but we will keep you up to date on how this is going and uh, what's it's going to be about and all of those different type of things. There will be a website launching for it in the next couple of weeks, but this is going to be kind of a fun project. And I know Gretchen, you wrote the book and mm-hmm. I know I've been involved in helping with that, but you're the writer on it. And you're also the artist on this one. Yeah. Um, initially. So it's not AI and, generated. <laughs> yeah. And uh, even though Bill doesn't know he's going to be press ganged into this project, uh, he will be, uh, but don't tell oh, him yet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, it's going to be kind of cool to see where this is going to go. It's going to be my first experience directly uh, with working with this and publishing it. I know we've already got our ISBN number, so that kind of makes it official. Uh, It's filed with the copyright office. So that part's done. So now it's just some final formatting issues. And uh, they sent over a template, which didn't make any sense. So we had to figure that out and, Uh uh, you know, getting that all put together and, and just, and just getting it out there. So really cool. So Gretchen, I'm going to say to you, congratulations on this because you've kind of really been the, you know, the fire behind this, getting this done. Thank you. And, um, (laughs) you know, and it's, it's going to be interesting to, uh, Kind of see where it goes. The first one's like I say, it's just it's a short format story, which kind of talks about the beginning of what will become Cyberhawk, which is a story about uh, uh, cyborgs that fly suits with jetpacks and all kinds of other things, which uh, you know, me kind of is a cool topic too. So I, I like that. <laughs> so um, in any event, uh, I think uh, I, we've had a lot of fun doing it, uh, Gretchen. Hopefully, you've had a lot of fun writing it. I think you have. Oh yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's uh. You know, enjoyable to put together. But yeah, again, check it out, userfriendly.show. 
There'll be a link up there uh, when this airs on Saturday. And um, you can sign up for the mailing list. And again, we won't do anything more than just give you information about CyberHawk and what's going on and how to get a hold of the book and you know some other things that will go along with it at that point. So this is going to be really cool. And I also invite any of our listeners that have published um, books, reach out to us. I'd love to talk to a few people and see what your experiences have been with this. I know there's a lot of authors out there. But what have you run into? And yes, there's a two-pronged thing. I would love to talk about on the show and also so we don't make the same mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see what happens from there. Again, userfriendly.show. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0 is copyright 2013 to 2024 by User-Friendly Media Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. Opinions expressed on the show are those of the hosts and guests and not this radio station. Please check out userfriendly.show for airtimes and podcasts.